Welcome to the Multifamily Mavericks Podcast, hosted by Josiah Smelser and Megan Greathouse. This is your one-stop shop for building and growing your multifamily business. Join us on a weekly basis as we crack the code to multifamily investing and scale up to financial freedom. And now your hosts, Josiah and Megan. Welcome back to another episode of Multifamily Mavericks. I am your host today, Megan Greathouse, and I am so excited because I just got to spend the last 45 minutes or so speaking with Brandon Turner. If you don't know who Brandon Turner is, I'm a little bit surprised, but who knows? He is the host, one of the hosts of the Bigger Pockets podcast. He has been involved with Bigger Pockets since almost the beginning. Um, and he has done so much in the real estate space from, you know, single family and, and duplexes and triplexes, moving into multifamily and syndication and even mobile home parks, which has been kind of a niche that he's focused on lately. But he had so much great information in this podcast. I can't wait to share it with you guys. Um, he talks a lot about the difference between small and large multifamily. And I think a lot of times we talk about it being one to four families versus five plus, which from a lending perspective is kind of the division. But he talks about it as your approach and your mindset. Are you still going at it alone and doing a lot of the work yourself? Or are you putting together a team and really making big things happen? Are you thinking big enough? And I think that was such an inspirational way to think about it because we're all here to keep growing keep learning, keep growing, keep scaling, build great things. So I think you're all really going to love what Brandon has to say today. He also really dives into some, some of his personal thoughts about that kind of in-between space in multifamily. So those 10, 20, 30, 40 unit properties that the big players aren't looking at, but it's definitely bigger than these one to four families. What are some of the challenges there and what are some of the opportunities created by those challenges? I personally am in a place right now where I am searching for that next deal. And I'm looking in that kind of funny mid-sized space. And it's a little bit frustrating at times. And just this conversation today has kind of renewed my energy and given me so many great things to go think about. Um, he talks about the Vivid Vision book and how he used that to really set himself up for success in building a team and making big things happen in real estate. I think you all are going to love this episode today. I'm not going to spend too much more time talking about it. Let's just dive in and listen to Brandon. Here it goes. Before we get started, let's take this opportunity to get connected. You can find me on Instagram at Daily Real Estate Investor. You can find Megan on Instagram at Part-Time Empire and our show on Instagram at Multifamily Mavericks. We're also both on LinkedIn. And if you're a multifamily investor, a multifamily syndicator, a mom and pop owner, want to partner with us on a deal, or even have a deal you want to sell, get in touch with us. We want to hear from you. Shoot us a message through Instagram or LinkedIn, and let's get to know each other. All right, multifamily mavericks. I am so excited today because we have the Brandon Turner here to chat with us. Um, on top of everything you probably already know about him, he is writing a book about multifamily right now. He obviously has a ton of experience. So, I don't feel like this guy needs much of an intro from me, but Brandon, just in case there's, you know, one person out there who doesn't know who you are, you want to give us a quick intro for everyone out there. Sure, sure. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who have no idea. <laughs> like, who's this homeless looking guy? Uh, yeah, so 
I got I got started in real estate early on. Uh, I I bought. Well, let me let me go even further back. I rented an apartment. I was 19 years old, like dumb, you know, 19 year old. Didn't know anything about life or about real estate or whatever. And I was just going through college and didn't want to live. Like I was going to a community college. Didn't really have dorms at that time there. And uh, so I rented a four bedroom apartment. Rented out all the bedrooms in the apartment, and including my own bedroom. And I lived on the couch for that year. Uh, because I realized I could live for free that way. And so that was like very like, it was like a foreshadowing of what would be, what would happen later on. Uh, again, I didn't know anything. I just was like, I don't want to have to pay to live. And so I lived on the couch and those were weird. That was a weird year. But uh, I actually slept in my car more than I slept on that couch, which is also weird. But uh, <laughs> I eventually graduated from college and uh, decided to buy a house uh, because it was cheaper than renting. And this is 07. So you could buy a house, you know, for like, uh, I mean, it was expensive. It was like 80 grand for my first property, which was expensive in my world, in my neighborhood at the time. But they also gave a mortgage to anybody with a pulse. So I bought a house, rented other bedrooms there because again, I didn't want to have to pay to live. And then I sold it and I made 20 grand. So I parlayed that 20 grand into a wedding, which then uh, I was homeless again because I had nowhere to live. So I bought a duplex and got into multifamily. And then I realized I loved multifamily. Cause like I got to live in one side of the duplex and rent the other half out and got to live for free. And then when I moved out, I just owned a duplex and I still own it today. Actually it makes me like, I don't know, $1,100 a month in cash flow or something like that off that one duplex. And I'm like, yeah. So anyway, so I grew into more and more and more. And today I've got, I don't know, maybe a couple dozen properties total. Uh, majority of those, or at least a good chunk of those in terms of unit count are mo mobile home parks. So I think we're at like 600 or maybe, we should be at 900 by the end of this week because we're closing on a big one this week. But yeah, a bunch of units in there. So that's, that's awesome. In a nutshell. Fantastic. And so you started with kind of small multifamily, single family and small multifamily, which is where yep. I started, where Josiah started, where many of our listeners started. And then you fairly quickly jumped into some larger buildings. I think I remember you talking about a 24 unit happening fairly yep. early on. How, how early on was that? Sure. Yeah. 24 unit when I was 24 years old. I, uh, I, I, done three years then of real estate because I bought my first house. I think it was like late 20 years old or so. And then uh, I'd done a little bit at 21. I started flipping some houses and buying some more small multis when I was like 22 and 23. Uh, and by that point, I think I had maybe 10 or 12 units total. Uh, and I met a couple. Uh, actually, I'd known this couple for the whole time I lived in, in Washington State. I moved out to Washington State uh, to go live in that apartment with the four, you know, drug dealers who rented from me at the time, which uh, that was a, again, that was a weird apartment situation. But uh, I, I stayed, uh, let's see, in Washington then. And I met this couple. I went to church with them, actually a couple different churches. Uh, and they like, even like the guy, even like the old, I mean, they're older. He even like showed me how to paint. I didn't know how to paint when I first bought my first house. So my very first house, uh, he like came over and showed me how to paint the outside of a house. And so we like, it was kind of a, I guess you call him a mentor, but I, I, it was just an old couple from church that was super nice. And uh, in talking with them one day, I read the book, The ABCs of Real Estate Investing by Ken mm -hmm. McElroy. And I love that book. And yeah. I was like, I told them at church the next day, it was like a Saturday, I read it. And I told them at church on Sunday, I was like, oh, I just read this amazing book. It's on a thing called apartment complexes and people can actually buy them. And like, <laughs> it was amazing. I want to buy an apartment. And they, yeah. they smiled and said, well, that's funny because we actually have an apartment that we want to sell. And wow. That turned into it took it took almost a year for the actual like from the that moment to closing it took about a year because I didn't have any money uh, and so we had to work out some creative finance ideas for me to buy it. But when I was twenty four, I think it was twenty. I think it was twenty four. Might have been 
might have started at 24 and actually closed at 25, but that's when I started. Wow, that's awesome. So since you were 24 or 25, you've been in multifamily and your focus now is a little different, but still multifamily, larger, yeah. larger, I guess, complexes. You're looking more at mobile home parks at this point, pretty much exclusively. Yeah. Um, mostly exclusively, but not entirely. I mean, I'm still like, I bought a triplex about a year ago here on Maui. I bought a three unit. I had a 1031 exchange into something and this three unit property came up here in Maui and I bought that. And that cash flow is like an ATM machine. It's awesome. Uh, so I would still buy more small multi. In fact, we're looking right now for a property for my boy Wilder. Um, I, I buy a property for each of my kids as they, uh, in the first couple of years of their life. And then I put it on a 15 year mortgage so that it will be paid off for them when they go to college. Uh, and that way it's like, that's their college education, you know, a two or three or $400,000 property paid yeah. off to nothing. So anyway, I'm in process right now of looking for a, uh, probably a duplex. I may go single family, but I'll probably go duplex uh, for uh, Wilder. Um, Rosie has a fourplex and it's that fourplex is actually my best performing property uh, wow. of hers. Yeah, that thing's, uh, that thing's awesome. Rosie brought you some luck. And I she love did, that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, my kids are, I think, almost exactly the same age as your kids. I've got a yep. four-year-old and a just-turned-one-year-old. Yep. So I love that concept. And I think I've heard more and more people talking about that as a college or you know, post-high school yeah. kind of starting fun for their kids, whatever they might want to do. Um, it feels like you, you made it cool. So that's I awesome. I'm, I'm trying. To, I'm trying to. Yeah, I need. To, I need. To, I want to keep broadcasting that from the roof because it's just so. It's such a great strategy, and and in really like five. I'm going to say five ways that this thing is just legit. The idea of like college hacking or whatever you want to call this. I need to come up with a good term for it. But it is like five things that are awesome. One, like there's monthly cash flow. I actually make like even after the the 15 year mortgage. Uh, I think I'm making I don't know 1400 or 1500 dollars a month on this fourplex, which is wow. awesome. Yeah. And then. Over time, the prices go up on real estate. Yes, they go up and down, but they generally edge higher, even though there is dips. Uh, so 15 years from now, that'll probably be worth way more than I paid for. It should be worth about a third of a million dollars. Also, over the next 15 years, that property is going to be paid off uh, you know, down to zero. So I owe 160 on it right now, I think. It'll be paid off to zero uh, when she's ready to go to college. Uh, and then fourth is I get all these tax benefits by owning that property. I do a cost segregation study on it. I have depreciation and I don't want to go into that. It's a little more advanced tax strategies that people don't necessarily care about, but get a good CPA. They'll help you save a ton of money on taxes. So, uh, so those are like four reasons, but then the fifth reason I think is the most important is because I get to show every single month and every single year for the next 15, 16, 17 years until Rosie's ready to for college, I get to show her a tan the tangible example of the power of real estate investing. Like she gets to see the cash flow. She gets, now I get to keep the cash flow. She doesn't get that. But I, I you know, she's going to learn like, like how income and expenses work and what capital expenses are and ex expenditures. And she's going to learn what all these things are uh, along the way. So hopefully it's not just dad, you know, preaching to her about real estate. It's, this is a real life thing. It's like, not just the, the, there's a book called, uh, switch by chip and dan heath and they say that our minds are made up by two sides the, the emotional and the logical mm -hmm. they call it the rider and the elephant the elephant's the emotional one that really moves and the rider's one sitting on top of the elephant so this basically gives rosie the influence in her rider and her elephant uh, on the power of financial freedom for the next you know for the rest of her life and if she doesn't want to go to college and she wants to use that money for a business or to start her own real estate oh that'd make me even more happy so yeah, wow. a, lot of, a lot of powerful strategies there. And this could apply to anything. It doesn't have to be college. It could be just like your retirement. You maybe want to retire in 15 years. Yeah, buy a couple properties, pay them off for the next 15 years. 
Like yeah. that could be your retirement. And then you get to re refinance that property. Like when she goes off to college, we'll refinance it, pull out a quarter million dollars tax-free <laughs> on another 15-year mortgage, start the process over. And now her kids or, you know, 15 more years later, we're going to have another property. Now at that point, it's worth half a million or a million. There's just so many cool benefits to this. I love real estate. That is, that's awesome. And I think that what you talk about there, you know, really brings out the, the kind of the family or the lifestyle side of all of this, which, you know, we, t we talk about multifamily and we focus on multifamily on this podcast because it's such a great way to scale. Those of us who have gotten a taste of real estate, we're in it, we are committed to it, and now we want to scale. We want to look at multifamily for that. But all of it, whether it's single families, duplexes, larger multifamilies, mobile home parks, hopefully what we're all doing this for boils down to a lifestyle and a why that's deeper than any of this. And when you're able to set your kids up for success in that way and have all those powerful benefits working together, I mean, that's huge. So I'm glad we got yeah. to, to talk about that because I'm in such a similar life stage as you with kids. And so there's, there's so many things I'm thinking about like that on a daily basis. And I think a lot of our listeners are as well. So thank you yeah. for sharing about that. I, I want to transition a little bit from that and talk about, as we think about multifamily specifically and scaling to multifamily, which is what so many of us are looking to do, it's much more of a team sport. I think real estate is in general, you know, but when you get bigger, when you're looking at bigger properties, bigger complexes, bigger, you know, mobile home parks, the team is important. And I was looking at Open Door Capital's website before we got on today and just re-engaging with what you have out there. And you have your team prominently displayed there. And it's a pretty cool looking team with how you, who you brought on and how you um, kind of divide and conquer can you tell us a little bit about how you built up to having a solid team like that? Obviously, I'm not going to go from having a handful of small multifamilies to a team your size, but what has your progression been like? Yeah, that's a great question. So yeah, team is, team is everything when you get to that level. You know, before I answer that, I'll, I'll say, uh, you know, I, you mentioned earlier, I'm writing this book, right? So I'm writing volume one of a book on multifamily. I think it's going to be called The Multifamily Millionaire. But Brian Murray is writing volume two. And the way we dis we separated them is we said, not by like zero to four units or, you know, one to four units is small or two to four units is small and five plus is large, which is how most like banks would separate. In reality, the difference between small and large multifamily, at least the way that we defined it and the way that I like to talk about it is in terms of approach. In other words, what I mean by that is the way you buy a property is you either buy it in a small mindset or a large mindset. And I'm not putting down small mindset. I still do things in a small mindset, meaning a smaller deal mindset. And what a smaller deal mindset means is you, you're doing all the work yourself. You're out there looking at all the properties. You're uh, maybe going to a local bank. You're the one applying for financing. It's like, it's just a different way of doing it. And you can, you can buy a five unit, a 10 unit or two unit all with that small mindset. But then there's this large mindset. You would never buy a 500 unit, $55 million apartment complex the way that you would buy a duplex, right? It's a, just a completely different approach. And so what I've learned is to approach my real estate, even smaller deals, approach it from a large mindset. So uh, that means bringing in a team of people, getting people who are really good at what they do. And if that sounds intimidating at the beginning, it doesn't have to be. They don't have to be employees. They can be partners. They could be uh, JVs. They could be whatever. You could work together to get this thing happening. And even if you're going to do it all yourself, 
you can still give yourself those different roles, like define it now. And so you can start replacing those. For example, so here, here's how I got into that. I started, I went to a conference where uh, everybody was doing way bigger deals. It was all like large minded uh, people uh, at this conference. And I realized like, I was just like, I was the odd man out. Like I was the guy that was doing still everything in a small approach. I was doing everything myself. And I realized I wasn't playing to my full potential. And so I, I said, you know what? I want to do something bigger. So I created this big vision for my, my business. It's called The Vivid Vision. It's a, based on a book by Cameron Harold. And I said, I want $50 million of real estate. And to do that, I asked the question, what do I need? And I thought, well, like, forget about money for a second. And I, I would encourage everyone listening to do the same activity. Is set that vision. Don't, don't approach like, what do I have right now and what can I do with it? But instead say, what would be great? What would be amazing? What would be cool? What would be like a challenge, but fun and fired, fires me up? And for me, it was $50 million of real estate. That's 1,000 units owned uh, within three years. So then I looked, I said, to get there, what would I need? Well, in order to get there, I would have to have a, an acquisitions manager, somebody just in charge of acquisitions, uh, probably somebody in charge of just underwriting, just an, a full-time underwriter to just analyze deals. Because in, in reality, it takes you know, between two and eight hours to analyze one large multifamily property or a mobile home park, you know, with digging in all the data and, and trying to pull everything together. And you might have to analyze a hundred before you make a single offer. So it takes a lot of time. So I thought I'm gonna need an underwriter. I'm gonna need somebody just kind of overseeing all sorts of acquisitions, including due diligence and such. I'm gonna need somebody to help me raise money, like the actual side of raising money, because that's a lot of work, all those conversations with investors and I don't wanna do all that. Uh, I'm going to need somebody that has uh, a huge net worth or a much larger net worth than I do because they call them a KP, a key principal, because I don't have the financing, uh, like the, I don't have the net worth or the liquid assets to be able to get a five, 10, $20 million loan. And then I'm going to need an assistant. I'm going to need somebody to just help manage my life so I can do all this and pull it all off. And then I'm like, Oh, okay, well I got those five roles specked out here. Here they are. Okay. How could I afford them? Well, when you buy multifamily, there's typically acquisition fees to cover your overhead. That's overhead. So I worked it out and I realized like to have five people's salaries, you can pay five salaries on buying $50 million of real estate. So in other words, it would cost me $0 to build a team of five people to go buy $50 million of real, $50 million of real estate as long as they bought $50 million of real estate. So ask yourself the question, if you had a rock star acquisitions person, a rock star underwriter, an amazing executive assistant, an amazing uh, deal finder, and I know I'm missing somebody in there, but oh, like a K, yeah, the yeah. KP, yeah, that, that KP, if you had all of that, could you go buy $50 million of real estate? If you had five people working their tails off that were at the top of their game and you really picked, handpicked the best people, could you buy $50 million of real estate? Yeah. I think so. I mean, that was my gamble, right? I was like, I think I could do it. So I, you know, within three years, you know, with, with you know, so we did it uh, and it took us a year and we're coming up here on a little over a year and I think a year and four months now. And we're just about to close on $50 million of real estate. We should have it by the end of the year. And so the answer was, yes, we can. Uh, now there, now, you know, I'm not saying everybody in the world should just go out in there and hire five people immediately. Like uh, not all those people, even our employees, some of them are partners. For example, Brian Murray, he's a partner. So anyway, that, that's how I approach team. That's a large mindset way of thinking about growing real estate versus, well, I don't have much money or I can't afford to hire an employee. It's thinking, what do I want? And then what do I need to get there? And how can the thing I want help me get there? It's just a, a different way of, of shifting your mentality and thinking about real estate. Absolutely. And I love that approach. I think that the mindset and, and keeping it big and also 
not just big, but open, right? I think there are a lot of people who want to think big, but then they start to shy away from the idea of partnering or really kind of sharing the workload. I mean, I, yeah. I know I can be guilty of that in many ways. So I think that's huge too, just being open to, I can rely yeah. on other people. I can open this up to yeah. partners. I can yep. be part of a team um, to make this work. You get so much further that way. Do you feel like you had any mental roadblocks early on yeah. about doing that? What, what were yeah. those? How'd you overcome those? Yeah, definitely. Oh man, I I still remember the conversation. Like uh, when I brought in one of my partners, you know, and oh, I mean, really everybody. They own, you know, ha over half of my general partnership. Like half of my income is gone due to that team. Like I give everybody in my team uh, equity uh, in all the deals, and so like if you're part of the team, you're getting equity in in, in, the, in the deal. And that was. I had to ask myself the question. I remember asking myself this question when I was really struggling with it. Like, oh, do I give equity? Do I, you know, is it worth bringing on these partners or should I just do it all myself? I just remember asking myself the question, can I do twice as many deals or do two times as much in real estate by giving away half of my, uh, my profit? And the resounding answer is, of course, yes. If I had four or five rock stars just crushing every aspect of the business, helping us grow, could we do twice as much? Could we do five times as much, 10 times as much all day long? And so it was such an easy answer when you, when you phrase it that way, not do I want to give away half my or three quarters or whatever. If you end up giving up 90% of your profit away uh, because you join a team and you'll get 10% of the general partnership, it's still better because you can probably do 10 times more than you could have alone. Now, the answer yeah. is not always yes for everyone, maybe, but definitely was yes for me. That's awesome. So I love hearing how you built this out. I think one thing that might be going through some people's minds is, well, yeah, he brought on a lot of rock stars because he is a rock star. He is the Brandon Turner. So, <laughs> you know, when we're thinking about folks who are starting from all sorts of different places, maybe someone yeah. started with just a, a couple single families and they quickly realize they want to scale, but they don't necessarily have the experience that you had when you were getting to this point. Yeah. You know, one thing that I think I've heard some folks talk about is, well, maybe start as an LP in, mm -hmm. in someone else's deal, start there, or try to work your way in as one of those kind of key hires with someone else who is doing what Brandon Turner is doing. You know, do you think that that's a good place for folks to start? Do you think that there are, are things people can take away, even from just being an LP in a deal, which limited partner, you know, you're putting some of your funds potentially into a deal that someone else has put together. And maybe you don't have all the same level of visibility or time put into the deal at that point. I'm curious on your thoughts of that. Yeah, I, you know, I put money in other people's LPs. Uh, you know, I've in their, in their, I've been in LP and other people's deals. Um, I don't know if I, I don't, I don't know if being an LP in someone's deal is going to necessarily get you more equipped to be able to invest in real estate on your own. And I, I'm, I'm sure for some it could, and I give them that motivation needed. But like, I don't, I don't get much information from my, my, the companies that I've invested in. Like, sure. I get like a, you know, quarterly report. And I'll admit, I barely even look over it. Um, you know, tell me how much money I made. And now maybe if you like really jumped in and dove into the financials and had a lot of calls with the, with the GPs and asked them a lot of questions, but then you're just going to bug them. Uh, and they're not going to want to work with you with an LP in the future. So there are, there are definitely like reasons that like, again, gets you familiar with the process a little bit. It gets you uh, not scared. It's kind of like, I guess the first time you go drive, like just sitting in the driver's seat, you're, you're kind of figuring things out, even if you're not going down the highway. But it's not as helpful, I would say, as the apprentice model. And so what I mean by that, it doesn't mean necessarily an apprentice, but you know, for all of human history, we've operated on apprentice master kind of model. 
Uh, and that kind of went away the last like 50 years. And I would say largely because people are just in a hurry and people are just, just rushing to get successful. But like, pay your dues as an employee first, if that's what you're trying to do. Pay your dues as, as part of a team or as a, as a, a small piece of another deal so you can learn that way. Like get, get in how you can. If that means you're just you know, an employee, if that means you're doing something else, that's a good way to build up that reputation as well. Oh yeah, I was on a team that bought $50 million of real estate. Like anybody in my team now could go and just go crush it on their own, I'm sure. I hope they don't, but they could uh, because they've got now that credibility. And yeah, do I have an easier time attracting top talent? Of course. Like I'm on a podcast with a quarter million listeners every week. And so like I can mention that I'm looking for somebody. But the truth is like fame is relative or like, uh, I don't call it fame, but like people looking up to you is relative, whatever that word is. In other words, like you are a rock star to somebody who has done half of what you've done. So if you've done four duplexes and a couple single family houses and you flip some houses, you are just a rock star to 99% of like my audience. Like you are, you are legit. You are amazing. Uh, and so like, I encourage people to start building their personal brand. In other words, like, you know, be known as like when somebody thinks of a real estate investor, I want in my community or like in my circle of friends, family, whatever, I want them to think Brandon. Like, oh yeah. Like if, if one of my friends, one of my friends is the manager of a Lululemon here in town. And if one of his customers comes in and says, yeah, I'm thinking about doing some real estate investing. I want him instantly going, yeah, you should talk to Brandon because I built that personal brand as I'm the guy, I'm the real estate guy. Uh, and so I recommend people build that personal brand right now. Even if you've done five deals, that's five more than most people have ever done. Uh, and so don't think that you like that. It's a limiting belief to think you can't attract top talent because you can get anybody that's just less, that's done less than what you have done because you're pulling them up to your level and you're a rock star. Yes. And I, I do love that. And I think that, you know, we gloss over the fact, oh, well, he's the Brandon Turner. You put a lot of time and effort and networking and marketing and, you know, blood, sweat, and tears behind building the podcast. I'm sure there's been so much that has gone into that. So it's yeah. certainly, but, but that relativity is important too. I, I think yeah. that there are a lot of folks out there who aren't, they want to do so much that they look at where they are right now and they don't maybe give themselves a credit for what they've already done. Yeah. I mean, if you think about my, like my path, I spent the first, so I got started young, right? I was lucky to get started, start to start young, but I spent the first, I started, you know, what, roughly 21. By the time I was 27, I'd quit my job and just kind of went full-time into real estate, I guess. Uh, but that just meant I was doing my own work. I was my own handyman. I was a handyman on all my properties. I was constantly crawling under houses, putting up insulation, fixing plumbing, cleaning toilets, all that stuff. Right. So I did that for the first seven years and I'm not saying everyone needs to do that. But then the next three years, I, I kind of became a more of a manager, but I still did a lot of my own work. Uh, I, I did stuff, but then I was doing the podcast and I was working probably a hundred hours a week for doing, trying to grow the podcast and the webinars for bigger pockets and writing books. So that was the next, like, I guess really like seven or eight years. I mean, I've done 402 episodes now, the bigger pockets podcast and only, and we've never missed a week. I mean, never missed a week. I only took one week off, uh, just to test out, you know, having me not as a host for a week to see if people would respond well. Uh, that was like five years ago. So I had Mindy step in for my shoes to see what it like. It was like one show. Like, in other words, I put in eight years of building a platform. Uh, before that, I put in eight years worth of doing my own maintenance, building a small investment portfolio. So now here I am 14, 15 years later, and now I can raise money from people because I've put in the, the time and the effort. You know, I've been the apprentice, so to speak, for the last 15 years. And so today I can kind of 
uh, apprentice other people. Is apprentice a verb? I'm going to make it a verb. <laughs> it works for today. Other people. Yeah, it works. <laughs> that's awesome. I think that's a great reminder for folks. Um, and I do think that going back to the team mentality too, it doesn't necessarily need to be that there's, you know, one Brandon Turner person, that you're that person or that there's one person like that on your team. If you've got a team of a handful of people who are moving and shaking in their area, in their geographic area, or in whatever kind of medium they like to spend time on, you can also collectively pull together that kind of clout that can help you really build something big and think big like we've been talking about. So lots of ways to do this, of course. We're digging into a few different ideas and, and details, but it, it's always nice to hear the reminders of how, how you've made all this happen. Um, so I want to kind of take a break from some of the, the mindset stuff and just talk multifamily in general. Sure. I think there's a lot of folks who are excited about this. You know, we're one of several podcasts that I've seen and listened to, and we we're all kind of looking for some similar things. And I think there's a lot of folks who, like people have been saying for years, oh, the market's pretty tough right now. The market's pretty busy right now. You know, I'm curious what your perspective is on that. I'm sure you have a unique one considering your background and some of the, the niches that you've been looking at. But what do you think, generally speaking, people should be preparing themselves for in the multifamily maverick or the multifamily space today? Sure. Yeah, it's insane. I mean, there's so much competition right now. Um, there's a, there's a lot of people looking for the same type of deals, like the value add, the larger apartments are going to make them a bunch of money. And there's a, there's a lot of people out there. That said, uh, I, I like to think of like, there's a sweet spot in real estate, especially if you're just getting, trying to get into that, that level where like, you know, there's a lot of people looking for the, I mean, there's a lot of people looking for everything, but in general, there's a lot of the single family parent, the single family rental people out there that are buying houses and the mom and pops that are buying houses and the, and the, you know, just husband and wife or husband and husband or wife and wife, whatever, buying a house, right? There's a lot of those people buying houses and even a lot of house hackers buying the duplex, triplex, fourplex, the five to like 30 range, five to 40 range uh, is typically smaller than you get the professionals. Like I don't buy 30 unit mobile home parks. I don't buy 30 unit apartment complexes because it's too small to generate the acquisition fees and the, the overhead that I need for my business. Uh, and so I don't look for that. So you're not competing on that level against me. So I think, and eventually when you get good enough, then you can go compete with the people that have the big teams like myself. Uh, and you can compete with us on the $50 million properties. Uh, but there's a, a sweet spot in that like smaller, you know, again, five unit, 10 unit, 15, 20, 25, 30. And you could build up some good financial freedom off just buying a few of those. Uh, they are, they are, I would, I would say they are more difficult than the bigger deals. They require more work than buying a hundred unit uh, in terms of like the management isn't baked into the numbers necessarily. They're largely mom and pop managed and oftentimes really poorly managed, but you can find some incredible deals there. I, I'll give you a true story. Uh, I bought a 24 unit in Cincinnati, Ohio, just, oh, I don't know, two years ago now. Uh, I lasted a year. I finally gave up and I sold it to actually the agent who brought it to me originally. Um, I sold it for about what I bought it for. I just couldn't, I couldn't make money on it. Uh, and it was in Cincinnati and I was in Maui and, and granted, like I had a lot of other stuff going on. So I wasn't focused at all on it, but by itself, it did not run. When I left it by itself, it did not make money. Like if I really focused on it and put my laser beam on it, I could drive it to make money by really working my manager hard and making sure that they were like paying attention to everything and, and following up continually. But I, I didn't have the time for that. 
But you know what? I sold it back to this agent, or I sold it to the agent who ended up bringing it to me. And that agent has almost doubled the value of that property in the past year. Like he cleaned it up, he raised the rent dramatically, he kicked out a bunch of the riffraff that were there, and he has completely turned that thing around. He's gonna make a ton of money, he's making a ton of cash flow off of it. Like, congratulations to him. And I don't feel bad about that at all. It just illustrates the simple truth that, like, that level of property requires a certain level of management that I was not willing to put in. And because of that, I failed at that, or at least you can call it a break even on that. Uh, and then I turned that and I bought a property instead. I just, ended up using the money and I bought a property that triplex here in Maui, which is awesome because here I can dedicate my time and I have systems and people in place to manage that property. Plus it's way smaller. So it's easier to manage. So anyway, bottom line is uh, you can still make really good money in, in that range. Like again, that was a 24 unit in Cincinnati that I'd bought. Um, you just, it requires a different level of work. And so if you can become an expert at that, I think that's a great way to break into the multifamily space, get in a bunch of those, get really good at that in a certain area. And then you'll have the knowledge and credibility and money and experience to be able to take on those larger multifamilies that will be uh, kind of your golden ticket later on. I think that is great, a great insight into what works and what doesn't work for some people versus others. And just how this um, whole multifamily space kind of, could be divided up in someone's mind. And, and maybe the, the ladder that you see into the multifamily space from that one to four family space to what you know Open Door Capital is doing, for instance. So that's awesome. I think that that's definitely a place where I'm looking is that kind of 10 to 30 unit space where there's yep. not these bigger players, but it's something I could team up with a couple people on to make happen. And we can really make sure it's running efficiently with the systems and processes that we set up here in our kind of hometown area. Um, so I like that a lot. Do you feel like there are any really key differences for those moving from the, the one to four family space into kind of beyond, I guess, just, you know, commercial lending versus conventional. Do you feel like there's anything real, really key that changes when you get up into the, the 10, 20, 30 plus range versus those one to four families? Yeah. I mean, I guess a big thing is the way you approach things becomes a more holistic view of everything. Like you don't care necessarily about Miss Johnson who didn't pay her rent uh, on Tuesday. Uh, you care about the percentage of rent that didn't come in. And so it becomes almost a more systems and numbers based business versus an emotional personal base. Like, I don't know how many, I don't know my tenants names in my, my, you know, 50 unit or hundred unit mobile home park or any, like, I don't know who they are. Uh, I don't care who they are. The question is like, did they pay rent? And what are my systems to make sure that they do pay rent and that my percentages increase from last month to this month? Uh, and so that's a big piece is just shifting your mindset from individual, like working in the business to an overarching working on the business. Uh, so that's definitely a difference between the small deals and the big deals. And, and part of that's just the nature of it, right? Because uh, you have a duplex and one tenant doesn't pay rent, like you lose half your income. That's a big deal. And so you're just much more emotionally invested and, and financially invested in the outcome. Yeah. versus the big deals. You're looking at trends. You're looking at systems and processes and, and your people and is everything working. So I'd say that's the biggest change between that level. Uh, property management is also difficult at level, that level because you know pr I think property managers are really good at managing single family houses. Like most property managers can handle a single family house. Now there's a lot of terrible property managers out there, but by and large, they can handle a single family house and maybe even some duplexes. Uh, and then once you get into the 100 unit apartment complexes, that's all in-house management with like national property managers who are super professional that oversee the in-house management. And those are really easy as well for the most part. I mean, like those, those are 
the good systems that are built in, the property managers are trained and experienced. The middle range though, that again, 10, 20 unit, just pro local property managers are not equipped to be able to handle those properties. And the larger, like national multifamily uh, managers, they're too small for them to handle. And so there's a, this annoying middle spot where it's really <laughs> hard to find good management. Uh, what you could do and what, what I would probably do if I was going to focus only on that, I would probably build it in-house personally, unless I knew I had a rock star property manager that just was good at that niche, which I, again, I don't think many are. I would probably build it in-house, buy enough properties within a certain area, or at least that would be my plan to have it in-house where I have like a resident manager uh, in, in place there. In fact, there's a really good book on that topic. Have you read uh, John T. Reed's like managing properties for cash flow or something like that? Oh, you know what okay. I'm talking about? No, I haven't read that one. I'm going to have to add it Resident to my list. Let me see if I can pull it up. We're going to give you the exact name. There it is. It's called how to manage it's how to manage residential property for maximum cash flow and resale value, uh, seventh edition. Uh, I don't even think they sell it on Amazon. Um, this is a true story. So this book, I got it from my library one time, back like 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago. I went to my library. They had this book called How to Manage Residential. Super like, super like um, uh, self-published book. It is definitely a self-published book. Like, I mean, just it's, it, it looks like a textbook almost. And it's, it's big and ugly. And... <laughs> I got it from the library and I read it and I was like, this is the single greatest book ever written for managing a multifamily in that middle range. Because wow. this is essentially John Reed, who's a, a old landlord, been around forever. This is like his operations manuals, pretty much what it is. It's just like, do this, say this, here's this what you should do. Uh, in fact, when we wrote the book on managing rental properties, our aim was to try to be as close to this book as possible. Um, but to be more general across all real estate, not just 30 unit. Like he's very specific on getting how to find that resident manager, how to hire that resident manager to be in place. It's really like the Bible for managing a 20 to 50 unit apartment complex. Um, so definitely check that. Okay, so true story again. I went to the library, got the book uh, and I, I read it. I was like, this is the greatest thing ever. So I went online on, uh, and you couldn't find it on Amazon. eBay had a copy for $150. You couldn't buy it anywhere else. So I called my library and said, hypothetically, if I lost one of your books, what would that cost me? And they said, well, which book? And I gave them whatever the, the thing, like, well, uh, that's expensive. You have to pay $26 uh, if you lost that book to repress to, you know, pay it. I said, okay, I lost that book. <laughs> <laughs> I still have it on my bookshelf today. So I paid, I paid the library for it. I don't think oh that's, stealing. yeah, I think that's just, uh, I think that's a, a business transaction. That's how I'm calling it. <laughs> uh, but that book was, anyway, <laughs> that book is fantastic. I, if you're going to buy a mid-level apartment complexes, buy that book. Um, or rent it from your library and Or rent it. it from a library and then leave it. Yeah, <laughs> and it, it might be slightly outdated in some stuff. Obviously, I think you wrote it 20 years ago now. But it was just like his system for having, a, I'd probably have resident managers in each place. I give free rent out of a 20-unit apartment, give free rent to one of them. Uh, and then you, I'd probably have another person like underneath me managing multiple resident managers. And then you just have systems that just work. That's probably the system I would work at that level because okay. having one mid-sized apartment would be tough, but having multiple ones, you can build the systems needed to be able to, to make those profitable. Right. And I think it all comes back to there's, there's this niche, there's this kind of in-between size that's a little tough in some different ways, but it could open opportunity for many of us who are starting in larger multifamily. And mm -hmm. it just means that you need to be on it. You need to figure yep. out some systems and processes so that you can actually make that work if you want that to be your stepping stone, or you can think 
really big, really fast, depending on how many people you can team up with and partner with. But there's an in-between that you can you can go to and make successful if you can be on top of those processes and systems. So yeah. I love that. I think there's a ton of great thought starters and ideas and, and thinking big um, kind of mentality in here for everybody. I want to ask you a question that I think you've asked on your podcast, but it's, it's one of the ones that I love every time that you ask this. I'd love to hear a little bit about kind of your worst day and your best day in real estate. Like what, what is it that kind of happened at, whether it's a single day in the past few years or kind of that type of day that gets you down and what's the flip side of that that keeps you going? All right. So I'm like 28 years old, probably. Uh, I'm managing my 24 unit apartment complex still. I'm, I'm the, I'm the handyman essentially. I'm doing all the work there. And, uh, I think I just started the podcast too, it was around then. And I get a text from my friend who lived at the property. Uh, he was a friend of mine, which is generally a terrible idea to rent to friends. I don't <laughs> do it anymore. But him and his four, four brothers or two brothers and two brothers friends or something like that. There's a bunch of dudes, all like 20 years old, living in this or 25 years old, all living in this apartment. And uh, he texted me and said, hey, the toilet is not flushing very well. It's kind of slow. I said, okay, well, normally like I had at that point, I had my mother-in-law answering all phone calls and she was managing most of the repairs and like, most of the like tenant interactions. And so like maintenance requests would go to her instead of me or to my wife who was also managing my wife and my mother-in-law would do it together. So the fact that it came to me in a text message, it just, it didn't go part of my system. And so then I just forgot about it. Then two weeks later, he, he texted me back and said, Hey man, this toilet is getting really bad. Uh, I wonder if you can come and take a look at it. So I go and take a look at it. I was like, oh yeah, sorry, man. I just totally forgot. Um, I went over and looked at it. And the truth was they had, it had stopped working entirely. It just stopped flushing entirely. And it got clogged and they filled it to the brim all the way to the top after being sick. They were all sick with the oh. flu and they filled it with everything you can imagine. Oh and gosh. I was like, well, I ain't calling a plumber for this. That's if you get a couple hundred dollars. So I'm going to try to snake it. So I try to snake it with a snake. It doesn't work. Doesn't, I try it for a while. It doesn't work. The only way to get this thing cleared, because it is, it is done, is I unbolt it from the floor and I carry the toilet over to the bathtub. And then I lift it up and dump it in the tub upside down. Uh, of course, when I lift it, it like a tidal wave sloshes all over the front of me and then gets into the toilet and I find a contact lens solution, whatever bottle in the bottom of the toilet that was like, jammed in there. And so I get that thing out, right? Uh, the next week I was deathly ill with the flu, as you would imagine, uh, because it was all over me. And oh that was the best day of my investment <laughs> because that was the day that I made the decision never do my own work again, to never do my own work again. That was the day I said, I'm done. <laughs> I'm not doing this. And I became, I shifted from a self-employed real estate investor to a business owner, real estate investor to use cash flow, uh, you know, cash flow quadrant from Kiyosaki, his model. I shifted from a self-employed owner to a business owner that day. And that's why it was the best and worst day uh, of my investing career. Wow, that is a graphically vivid <laughs> depiction. <laughs> so the question I, I, I ask everybody though is like, and I've said this on the podcast, but like, what toilet are you carrying in your life right now? Right. Like, what what toilet are you carrying? What do you need to set down and hire a two hundred dollar plumber to come deal with so you don't have to deal with that, you know, crap? <laughs> <laughs> right. And then going back to the vivid vision, 
uh-huh. you know, put down the toilet and think about what you want to be carrying or doing yep. or working on, uh-huh. and figure out who you need to help you make that happen. So, and that Vivid Vision book is definitely something everyone should check out if you haven't already. So that is awesome. What is, what's happening for you now? What's next for Brandon Turner and Open Door Capital? Yeah, so we, uh, we've done two funds so far. We did a $5 million fund, then we did a $10 million fund. Um, and now we're about to launch our third fund. So we're going to buy more mobile home parks. We really enjoy that. Like I said, I want to buy Wilder, his first property here. Uh, shortly this year, I've actually got uh, an intern right now working on that for me, uh, which is kind of cool. Again, because I don't want to, I, I know that if it's just left up, up to me, I'm just too busy to deal with a single property. So I have somebody else that can learn and grow and basically help me buy the property with me and I'll, I'll guide them along the way. The apprentice model, right? So now this apprentice gets to learn how to get into real estate. And then from there, they can do their own deals later on. So again, just kind of bringing that full circle is once you learn the stuff, you can bring in apprentices who are going to learn underneath you, which is kind of cool. So yeah, that's where we're headed. We're going to buy more mobile home parks, probably venture into more apartment complexes as well. Cause I think uh, I love mobile home parks a lot. But I think that there may be opportunity in the value add space as well, like we've talked about today. I think that for the size of my team and how intelligent they are, I think we could do some damage in the uh, in the multifamily world. So I think we're kind of hitting both of those uh, going forward. That's awesome. That's awesome. And you are still enjoying life with your family in Hawaii. Everyone's yeah. staying safe and happy and healthy through yeah. all the craziness of 2020. Yeah, Maui's, Maui's not a bad place to be during uh, you know the pandemic because... <laughs> nobody's here and it's the beaches are all open and it's uh it's a nice relaxing calm place that's awesome i'm glad to hear it well we've got one last question that josiah or i ask everybody at the end of this podcast um so it's always interesting to see sometimes people surprise us with their answers but if today i were to say brandon you can take all of the equity that you have in your properties you get all that equity back and I will write you a $10 million check, but you may never touch real estate again. Would you take the check and your equity and walk away from real estate forever? Or would you say, no, thanks? Mm, that's a good question. <laughs> um, I would say no, thanks. Yeah, I, I don't, I mean, I, to be honest, like I don't need to have open door capital right now at all. The whole company that we're buying the mobile home parks, like I'm already financially free uh, many times over and, have enough net worth to not have to work again. Uh, so I just do it for fun anyway. So that's why I wouldn't, I wouldn't take it because I'd be quickly bored and real estate's my passion. Real estate is uh, like my life's mission, so to speak. Like if I have like a thing, like that's what I built my life largely around. So yeah, I don't want to lose that. That's not worth any, any price. That's awesome. You're, you and your family are already set up and you're just having fun at this point. It is and I fun. hope that's kind of what we're all aspiring to. Take care of the ones you love do some good in the world and, and have fun along the way. So that is awesome. Thank you so much, Brandon. This has been a pleasure. We are so excited to have you on the Multifamily Mavericks and we hope to have you back again in the future. Hey, thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks for tuning in to Multifamily Mavericks. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, leave us a rating and review and share it with your friends. It helps us grow which helps us find great guests, which in turn helps you grow. And don't forget to connect with us on LinkedIn or on Instagram at Multifamily Mavericks, at Daily Real Estate Investor, at Part-Time Empire. Join us next time to keep learning the multifamily game and scale up to financial freedom.